Welcome to this Bible Center Church Core class. We hope that this in-depth teaching of God's Word will challenge you to grow in your knowledge of Him and help you become a disciple who makes more disciples. Thank you for joining us for this ongoing study of God's Word here in our core classes. These are 201 level core classes, and as you spend time going through these classes, you might want a printed copy. You can get a printed copy by ordering it online for 10 bucks. You just have to click on the website there, and you can order your own copy, and we'll print it for you. Or you can just download your copy, and you just print whatever pages you want to print out, you know, at the cost of it cost for you just to print things. The point of this study is to follow along with the Membership Statement of Faith rollout. Uh, at this point, uh, Matt has talked through some of the things that we've said about God's Word. I'd like to read point one and point two under God's Word. There are six points, and we'll read through them as we go, but we're just going to focus on points one and two, and from those we'll get our content for today's core class. Uh, God's Word, A, point one says, we believe the whole Bible, all 66 books, to be the inspired Word of God. Point two, we believe the Bible to be inerrant accurate and true in the original manuscripts, infallible and trustworthy in everything. The Bible does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So those are the first two points of six in our membership statement of faith about the Word of God. Today we're going to talk about the canon, basically how do we get to these 66 books, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some Bible basics, like just kind of an overview of how God's Word Works. We've already looked at the fact that the, God, the Bible is inspired by God or God breathed. We've also talked about transmission, how to go from the original to the Bible you have sitting in front of you. Now the question is, how do we get to these 66 books? So when it comes to the Old Testament, uh, and we have to talk about this in terms of Old Testament and New Testament, in terms of the Old Testament, uh, we don't have like clear records of how they determined which books would be written, but Josephus, a historian of Jesus' day, talks a little bit about what he knows, about what the Jews would talk about. He says in this quote, uh, there is no discrepancy in what is written, talking about the Old Testament, seeing that on the contrary, the prophets alone had the privilege obtaining their knowledge of the most remote and ancient history through the inspiration of what they owed to God and committing to writing a clear account of the events of their time just as they occurred. In other words, what it looks like how did they decide which books were the Old Testament books? There were no contradictions, no discrepancies. They were written by a prophet or someone with divine authority. They originated from the inspiration of God, and they were accepted by the Jews as accurate and authoritative. So those four qualities seem to be true of all the books that were accepted by the Jews in the Old Testament. Another good quote says this, For although such long ages have now passed, no one had ventured either to add or to remove or to alter a single syllable. And it is an instinct with every Jew from the day of his birth to regard them as decrees of God, to abide by them, and if need be, to cheerfully die for them. So Josephus there is giving us a picture of how the Jews viewed the Old Testament. They would die for them. They viewed them as God's words. Not even a syllable should be adjusted, added to, removed, or altered in any way. They were considered of utmost holiness. So the books, the 39 books of the Old Testament, fall into those categories. Those things were true of those 39 books. Jewish tradition holds to the fact that the voice of God seemed to 
disappear. It was silenced after the book of Malachi, about 300 BC. So that's the point where that canon of the Old Testament was closed. Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, that he did not come to abolish the law, but to uphold, to fulfill the law. So he recognizes that the body of work, the 39 books of the Old Testament, by Jesus' standard, were the law, that he himself, the God of the universe, intended to be the Old Testament. The Christian church in Romans chapter 1, verse 2, calls the Old Testament the holy scriptures. Holy, using the same word describing those words, as that describe God himself, the word hagios. God's words were holy. God himself is holy. So we see there from the words of Jesus and the words of Paul that there's consistency that the 39 books of the Old Testament were indeed the books that God intended to be part of his canon, to be part of the word of God, the Bible. When it comes to the New Testament, there were particular guidelines that were given to figure out which books belonged in the New Testament. One, was the book written by someone who was an apostle or had the authority of someone recognized at an apostolic level? Did it agree with the canon of truth? Did it have universal acceptance? Does it have a self-authenticating divine nature? Was it clearly from God? I mean, did it attest to itself by the way you read it and what you heard? So those were the expectations of every book that was considered into the New Testament. The early church fathers, Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, they were already beginning to quote many of these New Testament books. We see them quoting them as scripture, lots of Paul's writings, a lot of the Gospels. Arrhenius identifies a large number of these books for us way back at the end of the first century, second century. Several other books were written and considered. So even while God was writing his New Testament through his New Testament authors, other books were being written, the Didache, uh, First Clement, Ignatius, uh, Shepherd of Hermits. There were several other books that were written, but they were not considered scripture. They were just good books of the day. So even today, I wouldn't say don't read the Apocrypha, don't read early church father books. Go ahead and read those. It'd be like reading a Max Lucado book today or one by Ravi Zacharias or Charles Spurgeon. You can read those books, just realize they're not scripture. They're just books making an effort to make scripture more clear. Athanasius in 296 to 373 AD, the Bishop of Alexandria, was the first to include clearly, distinctively, the 27 books of the New Testament. And at that point, agreement became clear between all the councils and synods of the early church that these were the 27 books of the New Testament. This is important to recognize. The Christian church did not canonize a book. Like, we didn't say it was scripture and it became scripture. Rather, God considered it scripture, and then we were able to recognize or determine God's canon. God wrote his words, and it was a matter of us trying to recognize what God's intention was and which books were truly his books. So canonization isn't a human process. It was God's process that we try to recognize what the conclusion and intention of God was. So the Bible you have in front of you, the 66 books, are inspired by God, they're His, we call them the Word of God, the closed, consistent, eternal Word of God. So when it comes to Bible basics, so we have our 66 books, but what's a way to understand the books as a whole? Are there any unifying themes? Are there simple ways of understanding and remembering God's Word? I want to give you a couple. I would suggest to you that the unifying theme of the Bible 
and this has been done in different ways and said in different ways, one way of saying it is, it's God displaying His glory through the progressive revelation of His character and redemptive plan. The Word of God, the unifying theme, is God displays His glory, which is His beauty, His majesty, His value, through the progressive, or by slowly over time, revealing more about who He is, His character, and His plan of redemption, which is the coming of Christ, His death on the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, and then Him building His church and calling it to go home with Him forever in heaven for all of eternity. So that is the overlying theme, the unifying theme of Scripture. A couple good questions. Why would God do this progressively? Like, the Word of God was written over the course of thousands of years. Why didn't He just, like, send us one big book already completed from heaven and say, here it is, here's your book? Why didn't we just all receive that in the mail? God did it progressively because God Himself is infinite. Infinite. Beyond our full comprehension. And he spoke his word, and he's trying to reveal himself to finite beings. You and I and every human on earth has limitations. There's a point where we're not going to be able to fully understand all that God is because he's so far beyond us. It's like us trying to describe ourselves to a colony of ants. Like they're just not going to get what it's like to be a human. So God, over time, slowly gives us a little bit more and a little bit more about who he is, what he's like, his character. And over time, he tells us a little bit more about his plan. So back in the Old Testament, he spoke of one who was coming, who has saved the world of, its, of their sins, but it took a long time for Jesus to actually show up on planet Earth. And it's taking a long time for him to come back and to take his church to be back with him in heaven forever. So that progressive, and we're still in it, in this progressive, ongoing amount of time, God's revealing more and more about who he is what he's like, and his plan. How has he revealed his character? Throughout the Bible, he's done it in several ways. One, he's done it through his names. Throughout the Old Testament, he calls himself different things. Um, the God who sees, the Lord, our banner, uh, God, our provider. And we'll spend some time in the future going through some of the names of God, but he teaches us about himself as he says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. Um, I'm Adonai. I am El, Elyon. So he goes through and he teaches us who he is through his names. We see what he's like through his relationships. He has unique relationships with Moses, with, um, even with Adam and Eve. He has a unique relationship with Aaron, uh, with Abraham. With, just throughout the Bible, you see these interesting, amazing relationships. Him and Elijah, him and Elisha, um, him and Enoch, where you see little bits a little bit more and more about God and the way he interacts with us and the relationships that he has. Also through his covenants, his promises, you see more about God's faithfulness and his commitment to his people. And even through his commands and his creation, you see characteristics of God when you look at the mountains, at the stream, at animals, at birds. God's communicated his beauty, his splendor, his power, his intelligence through his design and his creation. And his commands, which are called rich, pure, faithful speaks to his purity, his faithfulness, and his beauty. So God teaches us about himself through all those things. When it comes to his redemptive plan, like it took time for us to see just how sinful we really are. Throughout the Old Testament, you see God give us just one simple command in the garden, and we break it. God then says, be fruitful and multiply, and allows us to go out on our own, and we fall head over heels into sin. 
He sends a flood and he punishes us. And then again, we just fall right head over heels into sin. God gives us the law so that we know what to do and what not to do. And we choose to disobey his law and sin over and over again. Um, God gives us our own, gives his people his own little country. Okay, he gives them the land of Israel flowing with milk and honey. All they could want, they have. And still they fall into sin and they seek other gods. So through this long process of teaching us about himself, oftentimes he teaches us about himself by allowing us to see our true nature as well. Our incredible propensity and tendency towards sin and rebellion and our move away from who God is to do things our own way for ourselves, for our own sakes, just kind of riddled in our own pride and selfishness. So God over time shows us our desperate need for him. And then he teaches us about his patience, his mercy, his justice, his grace, his love. And it culminates in the coming of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. So over time, he's revealing more about himself through his redemptive plan. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 are in the Old Testament, 27 are in the New Testament. A simple breakup of the 39 books of the Old Testament would be this. Of the 39 books, there are 17 that are historical, there are 5 that are poetic, and then there's 17 that are prophetic. So you have 17 historic, 5 poetic, 17 prophetic. Pretty easy to remember. If you want to go a little bit more detailed, of the 17 that are historic, 5 are considered Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then 12 are considered general historical narrative. Of the 17 that are prophetic books, there's five that are considered the major prophets, and then there's 12 that are considered the minor prophets. So this would be a basic way of breaking up the Old Testament. If you print out your notes, I give you several little charts where it helps you identify, like within these five books, what are the major eras of those books, what are the major events of those five books, and who are the major people of those five books. And then I do the same thing through some of these historical periods. What are the major events, people, eras uh, that are going on in these as well? So I try to summarize it as simple as possible into easy charts. If you'd like to go a little bit deeper into that, you can take the book and print it out. You can order it. Or there's an amazing book called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible by Max Anders. You'll see a picture of it in your book. I've had several people go through it and say, I've learned more about the Bible in two weeks than I have through most of my life in terms of understanding how the whole thing is put together. So I would strongly encourage you to check that out. When it comes to the New Testament, 39 in the old, there are 27 in the new. There are four gospels. There's one book of Acts. And then after that, we have 13, we have a bunch of epistles, okay? We have up to 22 epistles. Of those 22 epistles, we've got a bunch that are written by Paul, 10. Then we've got three that are considered pastoral epistles, also written by Paul. So there's 13 Pauline, 10 are general, three are written to individuals. That's kind of how it's organized. The first 10, okay, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all the way up to right before 1 Timothy, are general ones written to churches. The next three are pastoral written to people, Timothy and Titus. And then we have eight that are considered general epistles written by different authors. The author of Hebrews, James, Peter, John, Jude. Those are the general epistles written with different intents and different purposes. Finally, 
We have the book of Revelation. 4, 1, 22, 1. Four Gospels, one book of Acts, 22 epistles, and then the book of Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. So these are the, the basics of the New Testament as well. So the goal today was really simple, just to walk through how we have the canon that we have, how we pick these 66 books, and then a real basic summary of how those books are put together. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. We're going to talk about inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency. We'll see you then.